So today, we made it. We're going to uh, finish the book of Acts. How about it? Hey, let's thank God for his faithfulness. For those that don't know, it's taken us almost 15 months. We started June 12th, roughly, so way to go, church. Wasn't easy. Wasn't easy. So we, we had a couple weeks off, so I got to bring you back into the story. So if you remember that uh, this great missionary journey of Paul, uh, Paul had gone through a series of trials. Remember Felix, Festus, King Agrippa? He'd faced all these different trials uh, for the Jewish leaders were trying to prove him guilty and, and have him uh, killed, imprisoned and killed. But we saw over and over again, what, that Paul was completely innocent. They could find nothing wrong with him, similar to our Lord and Savior. But the Jewish people would not relent. So Paul had to appeal to Caesar, which was the right of a Roman citizen. He could appeal to their supreme court and go be tried before the emperor of Rome. And if you remember where we left off, I mean, this is the way I picture it. It's not in the text, but it, it would line up historically that then Paul was going to Rome. So this was Paul's deepest desire. He wanted to go to Rome. And, and so he was imprisoned in Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was a beautiful city built on the, on the, on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. So I pictured probably most sailing ships would go off early in the morning. So Paul's been in prison there for two years. And they came and got Paul early in the morning, right? I just love visualizing the Bible. He gets up early in the morning. The town is quiet. This big city's quiet. Probably all you could hear would be seagulls and the, and the oceans of the wave, the, the waves of the ocean coming on the shore. And he's led off to this ship with 200, 276 other passengers, including prisoners and guards. So probably the only thing you could hear in that morning would be the clanking of their chains, the birds, and the ocean. And Paul, I mean, picture Paul in this situation. He is excited. This is the desire of his heart. He wanted to go to Rome to share the gospel. So he's excited. He's probably also a little nervous. He's human. He, he's going to share the gospel with, he believes, even the emperor himself. So he's probably reviewing, okay, well, the, the Old Testament's not going to work on the emperor. I've got to think about how to bring the gospel, probably like he did on Mars Hill to, to the Athenians. So he's going over all this. He's getting on the ship, and they're heading to Rome. But if you remember, it didn't go so good, right? didn't go as planned because what happened? They, they got on this ship and, and they started having some rough seas. It's known that they call it, then, to the Jewish people call it the Northeaster. It was a, a hurricane force wind came across the, the Mediterranean and was blowing their ship off course. And, and Paul, they, they finally made it. They're on an Alexandrian grain ship. If you remember, that's the ship with the one big square sail. It only goes with the wind, so it just follows the wind where it goes. And they end up finally getting around the island of Crete and they port in fair havens and they're, and they're safe. They're out of the winds at that time. Well, the weather changes for a little bit and, and everybody else wants to continue to go on. And Paul says, no, I'm telling you, if you go on, it's going to be a disaster. But they overruled Paul and they went on and we saw what happened. They were lost at sea for 14 days. They had not eaten. They had not slept. They were constantly under intense stress, fighting for their lives on the ship, throwing over cargo and tackle and dropping anchors to try to slow the ship down. And where we left off is they shipwrecked on the island. And, and uh, all of them had lost hope, if you remember, except for 
Paul, thank you. Everybody lost hope except Paul because an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul on the ship. Do you remember that? And this is what he said. He said, Paul said to them, this angel of the Lord appeared to me of the Lord I serve, to whom I belong, to whom I stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. And, and beloved, you remember the big lesson we got out of this? Everybody had lost hope. The angel of the Lord shows up and encourages Paul. And, and what we took away from that is that in difficult life circumstances, we have to remember that God is with us, that we belong to God, that we are his slaves. That word's not too popular in the church, but that is doulos, that is the word, it is slaves. And we can all easily see the analogy because we were all slaves of the evil one before that, right? So now we become slaves of Jesus Christ, a good master. And he, and he said we must have faith. And, and really the application point from, from this is three weeks ago now, was the, the issue of that we're all going to face trials, we're all going to face difficult circumstances. You can count on it. The Bible promises you're going to face these type of circumstances. And, and beloved, in those situations, you can be self-focused or God-focused. You can, you can go into a pity party, why me, and just totally reflecting on yourself. Or you can be God-focused, realizing that God is with you, God is for you, God loves you, it's part of his plan. Can you be a faithful servant in the most difficult of circumstances? Now we're going to see it again in the text today as a reminder that that is our call. That is where we have some of our greatest witnessing power is in difficult times. Everybody can skip and sing Jesus loves me when things are going well. It's when the difficulties of life come at us that we need to remember that God is with us, God is for us. We are his slaves and we must have faith. I'm just going to show you a couple verses real quick. I don't want to do two sermons today, but these are, these are just some verses I think every Christian should memorize and meditate on. Romans 8, 28 through 30 says, And we know in all, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's good news. That's good news. I, if you don't have these memorized, if you haven't meditated, meditated on these verses, I pray you would. And these ones that go right with it, look, you're still in the same chapter of 8. How easy is this? You know, I don't even think you have to turn the page. You can do both these at the same time. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are two beautiful bookends when you face the difficulties in life. And they really say that God is with us, God is for us, and God loves us. So that's the summary from three weeks ago. Everybody good? Ready? Ready to hit chapter 28? It's kind of sad for me. Not that, not that much is in here, but uh, uh, chapter 28, uh, it's kind of like leaving an old friend to me as we finish this book. So if you would open your Bibles to chapter 28, and our brother Kevin is going to open the Word. Please stand as we read God's Word.
Acts 28, 1 through 6. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess of justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Thanks, Kevin. I had to throw one more map in, just because I don't, I'm not going to do maps in Romans, so I just thought I'd get one more map in for the last time. But just the reminder of the journey here, they left from Caesarea, they picked up the Alexandrian ship here, the Northeaster came across here, blew them off course. Here's Fair Havens, where they spent some time and Paul said to stay, they said no. They came off, got caught by the Northeaster again. They started dropping cargo, dropping anchors, throwing off tackle, and they landed right here, which is Malta, this little island. It's only 17 miles long and about nine miles wide. It's a very small island, obviously right off of Italy, Sicily being here, and that's where they were. That's your geography lesson for the day. By the way, this is a current picture of the, the bay they were in. This is called uh, St. Paul's Bay. This is the, what it looks like today. And if you go to Malta now, Malta is a destination, vacation destination. It's a beautiful tropical spot, uh, lots of sunshine and beaches and beautiful hotels. So that gives you a feel for where it was. But let's get back to the text. So we see here that these, these, these 276 men get to shore. I picture this. Lost at sea 14 days. They're cold. They're tired. They're hungry. They haven't eaten. They haven't slept. They've been under constant stress. They, land, they had to swim to shore. The ship was destroyed. They swim to shore. And here the islanders come out to greet them and make them a big bonfire. Now you've got to realize, 276 people around a fire. This was a big fire. But how, how welcoming that was, just to get warmed by a fire after being lost at sea for that long. And you can picture these guys, I mean, high-fiving each other. I mean, they really thought they were dead. They thought they were dead at sea. So you can imagine that the great joy that overcame them, that they, were going, that they lived and, and they were in a safe place and being welcomed by these, by these islanders. Now, we see in verse 3 that Paul kind of made a little throne on the beach. And he sat there and he expected the 275 other people to serve him. I mean, he had just saved their life. And he kind of built a throne and said, okay, all you 275, you serve me now. Hello? <laughs> they did, well, is that a, I got a different translation. Now, look at what Paul's doing, beloved. Paul is up getting firewood and putting it in the fire. He's helping, he's working right with the islanders to serve, continue to serve these other men. Now, that may not sound like much, but remember, Paul was the Jew of Jew, the Pharisee of Pharisees, he would have nothing to even do with the Gentile. He considered being in association with a Gentile being defiling. Right? That's how proud Paul was. But look at him now. He's gathering firewood. He's continuing to serve these guys after God had just used them to save their lives. You know, Paul wasn't there with the other apostles got the lesson from Jesus about washing of the feet. 
but obviously he gets it. He's a servant. He's a transformed man. <clears throat> now, what, I, what else is interesting, he's doing this, and what happens to him? He gets bit by a poisonous snake. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, we keep going over this, and you think that Paul would say, enough is enough, God, right? But he doesn't have that attitude at all. He just takes a snake and shakes it into the fire. And, and you'll see why. And, and look at this, an interesting truth here. He shakes it into the fire, and look how the people respond. They say, this man must be a murderer for... Though he escaped the sea, the goddess justice has allowed, not allowed him to live. But then when he did live, they said he was a god. But what I want you to see here, it's just an interesting truth. This isn't the main point of the sermon, but, but look at the, the reality that God's law, or you can look it up here, I'll put a verse up here. God's laws are written on man's hearts. These men were not believers. They, had, uh, they did not know the Old Testament or the New Testament. But we see this truth that Paul quotes in Romans 2.14. It says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience also bears witness, and their thoughts sometimes accuse them, other times even defending them. So back to the text. Pick up in verse 7. So they're sitting around the fire, and then uh, they're looking at Paul, and, th and then they, they, the, uh, the, the islanders then escort him here. Look at uh, verse 7. It says, There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him, and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick of the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies we needed. So just picture this, 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 word, this term here, the chief official of the island, would indicate that, that Publicus was the governor, the Roman governor appointed to Malta. So he was the governor of that, of that territory for Rome. And um, he must have had quite a place. 250, 276 men spent three days with him in his house. It's a pretty good-sized house. Now, what they were probably doing there is they were preparing a place for these men to spend the whole winter, so they had to find housing for 276 men uh, within the villages and where they would spend the whole winter. And we see that he, Paul heals the, the father of the governor, and then all the people bring their sick, and he heals them as well. Now, the text does not indicate that Paul shared the gospel with these people. It, and what do you think? I mean, come on, we've been working through 27 chapters of this, of this book. Do you think Paul shared the gospel? Yeah, Dr. Luke at this point goes, of course he did. I'm not even going to mention it. I'm not going to waste the three or four sentences I have to write it down. Of course he shared the gospel with these people. And, but see, we're seeing all these circumstances. Oh, Paul's shipwreck. Well, I'm trying to get to Rome. Why is God shipwrecking me here? And then he gets shipwrecked and he saves all, nobody's listening to him. He finally saves them all, they get to the shore, and then a snake bites him. 
And, you know, he shakes it off, and we would be thinking, I don't know what's going on here. Am I out of God's will? Am I in God's will? But you don't see that in Paul. And then he gets to the governor's house, and his father's sick, and he heals the father. Then he heals all the people. Do you see what's going on here? The sovereignty of God is setting the stage for the gospel. He's setting the stage for the gospel. All the 276 saw the miraculous work of God. That's what brought them to the shoreline. Paul knew that. Paul knew when the snake bit him he wasn't going to die because he was already promised that he had to witness in Rome. So he shakes it off into the fire. And then he goes and starts healing people and they're all going, they're thinking he's a God. So perfect opportunity. Not me. Let me tell you who is God. Let me tell you the story, the gospel of the Messiah. And God had set the stage beautifully for the gospel. And Paul faithfully just follows in God, maybe not knowing what's going on all the time, but knowing that God has a plan in all this and he obeys them and shares the gospel. Now, we, let me share this with you. It's church tradition, or I would call it church history. It is noted that the church in Malta started at this time. And guess who the first pastor was? Publicis. He was the first pastor of the church in Malta. So there's proof that the gospel was shared and that, and the, and that the church was founded in Malta. So Paul had to be praising God. He didn't know all was going on, but from this great work of God, the church spread to this little village that God loved and cared about, this little island 17 miles long, 9 miles wide. God cared enough to send a ship off course all the way there to send Paul so he'd share the gospel. What a God we serve. How about you? How far did he travel to find you? Where did he find you? It's an amazing God. Now I call this one the ticker tape parade. It's getting good. Are we doing okay? clock stops so we got lots of time so look at here then after three months they spent the winter on the island they they put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island it was another alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods castor and pollux those are the twin sons of zeus and they were on a lot of ships back then because it was believed they brought good luck to the to the sailors it's kind of funny, but I mean, people still believe in luck, don't they? People still put rabbit's foot. I mean, we see, see this, these twin gods as kind of almost comical that they're going to protect them at sea. But yet, a lot of people today believe in, oh, I'm lucky, or this is my lucky number, or I have a lucky rabbit's foot. Or There isn't luck. There's only the sovereignty of God. So they have this, this ship that says we put in Syracuse and stayed there three days. Quick point, it's noted that the church of Syracuse was started. How about that? Three days to make a disciple and a pastor. From there, they set sail and arrived at Rigium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, they reached Patili. Now, Patili, I know we're doing a lot of history here. Stay with me, but Patili was the major trading port of Rome. It's about 150 miles from Rome, but this is where all the grain ships would come. They were building a port closer to Rome, but most of the traffic was still coming in through, through this port. It was a city of about 100,000 people. So it was a big city, and, and this, is where, um, this is where they docked. And from here, they walked to Rome. About a 150-mile walk down the Great Roman Road is where they traveled. Now, for the engineers out there, 
This road is something else. It's, um, we'll get to some good stuff. We're just some history here. The history here. The Appian Way, via Appia, as also said. But this road was built 2,300 years ago. It started 300 B.C. And guess what? Parts of it are still being used today. We need to get those guys in Chicago. <laughs> right? We can, our roads don't last a year here. 2,300-year-old roads, parts of it still being used. It was uh, 360 miles long, 18 feet wide, so two wagons could pass each other on the road. It was an engineering feat. It went all the way from Greece to Rome. Incredible. Here's a picture of part of it. You need to have a Jeep to ride that, but it was quite a road. So we see here, back to the text, we see that they're on this road, they're walking 150 miles, and now just watch this, then it says from this town here, um, Epius, 40, which is 43 miles from Rome, see it says here, verse 15, the, the brothers and sisters had heard they were coming, and they traveled as far as the forum Appius and three taverns to meet us. Uh, forum is 43 miles, the uh, three taverns is 32 miles from Rome, but, and, and this word to meet us in Greek means it's an entourage coming out of the city to meet honored guests. Can you picture this? So somehow the word had gotten back to Rome that Paul was coming, so the people, he's walking 150 miles, which is quite a journey by foot, right? So all these little towns closer to Rome are hearing it, and they're all coming down this Appian Road, this great Roman highway, to meet Paul. That's why I call it ticker tape parade. Now, I mean, come on, Paul, what was Paul thinking? I mean, Paul probably believed he was going to start the church as he had everywhere else. But the, but the gospel had already gotten to Rome, probably through either Pentecost or through the scattering of the believers during Stephen's martyrdom. But regardless, there was, there was already Christians in Rome, and they're coming down this great road to, to meet Paul. Can you picture that? And then it says, Paul has, it says here in the last part, it says, then when he got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So Paul now rents a house. We'll see in verse 30, he rents a house in Rome. He finally got there, but he's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. They change the guards every six hours. Now, I got to believe this is not the way Paul envisioned him getting to Rome. I believe he thought he was going to appear before the emperor, or maybe have one of those great auditorium talks that he had in Caesarea. But his ministry has changed dramatically. He's now under house arrest. He can't go talk to anybody. He can't go share the gospel. He's locked up in this house. And this is his new place of ministry. Verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders, when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against our, the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, but because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. So, I mean, this Paul is an amazing follower of Christ. He just got to Rome. He'd only been there three days. 
He's under house arrest. And the first thing he does within three days is he sends for the Jewish leaders of the synagogues to come and meet with him. He gets right to work. I thought Paul might take a couple weeks off. He would serve in God for 10 years. He should be at least four weeks of vacation by this point. But he sends for them and they come. And what does he say to them? He says, I am innocent of doing anything against our people or our customs. The Roman officials have tried me many times and found me innocent. The Jews would not accept the Romans' verdict. Therefore, I made an appeal to Caesar. And he goes also, he says, I'm not bringing any charges against our people. I'm only here to be acquitted myself. And lastly, this is all about the hope of Israel. This is all about the hope of Israel, that I'm in chains. What is the hope of Israel? The hope of Israel is that the coming Messiah. That they're, they're waiting for the coming Messiah. But the problem is, is their Messiah was one that was going to come and rule an earthly kingdom. That's what they're waiting for. That was the hope of Israel. And Paul is going to straighten them out on that through the word. And we'll see in a couple of seconds. But that is the hope of Israel. Israel was waiting for the Messiah to reestablish Israel in its kingdom. And look at how they respond in verse 21. It says, they replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said any bad thing about you. But we do want to hear about your views, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. What do you think about that? I think they're lying. I think they're lying. It, how, how could it possibly be that they have heard nothing about Paul? In all these years, he's been in ministry many years now. You've got to remember that Paul at one time was the hero of, the, of, the, of Jerusalem as he went around persecuting Christians. And now he's the most wanted in Jerusalem. And they're, brothers and sisters, they're coming to these annual feasts. They said people that have come from there, they're going to the annual feast, the Passover, the booth of weeks, they're doing all these things. So the reality is they, they're, they're probably lying to Paul. They have heard of him. And about this sect, they said we've heard a lot about this sect, which is what they call the, we call the way. They, all these people already came out of the city to greet Paul on the, on the, tab, on the road, so they, they have not heard anything about it in detail. I just don't think these guys are telling the truth. So this is the last part of Scripture here before we get to the sermon. So they, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day. They came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening. Okay, now this encourages me. He preached for 10 to 12 hours. We have a hard time sitting here for 40 minutes, don't we? No, some of you don't. Praise God for that. 10 to 12 hour sermon. These people were serious. And what was he doing all the time? He's explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. You see that? So, what does it mean that he testified or explained about the kingdom of God? See, he, this, this would have been a logical sequence. We've seen it in other places in Acts. The first thing he would explain to the, to the people there, this large group gathered in his house, was the sinfulness of man. The sinfulness of man. That we're all born in sin. 
and that we've, we've sinned against a holy God. He's talking about the sinfulness of man is where he starts. And what do you think the Jewish people would have said to that? Amen. They would have agreed with that. They understood the sinfulness of man. And from there he went to the righteous requirement of the holy God, that, that he's holy and righteous and that sinful people can't approach him. And they would have said amen again because they had the day of atonement where they would shed blood for their sins as a temporary covering for their sins. So they're with them up to this point. But then he gets into this, but God has sent his son, the promised Messiah, as the perfect and final sacrifice. And they would have said, stop. We don't agree with that. That's not what we've been taught since we were little boys. The Messiah didn't come to die. Our Messiah wouldn't be crucified. Our Messiah came to sit on the throne of David. And he would have explained to them, no, you misunderstand this, that the Messiah had to come. He had to die. He had to be buried. He rose again. And what you're talking about is the second coming. And he explained to them the need to be born again. To have our sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus. To be born into the kingdom of God. Now what is the kingdom of God? He explained all this. This is really the pathway to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God for us, beloved, is now and in the future. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see, brothers and sisters, the moment you surrender to Jesus Christ, you are born into the kingdom of God. You're born into the kingdom of God. You became a child of God. And our responsibilities, we've talked many times, is we're to be ambassadors for the king until the second kingdom of God, until Christ returns. So the kingdom is now and it's in the future. I'm sure Paul was trying to explain that to them. And then it says here that he, he, he was teaching and, and proving or persuading them through the scriptures. We've gone over this. I'm not going to go over today again. But he was going back to the Old Testament. He got out his scrolls and was going over the 300 plus prophecies about Christ to show that he was supposed to come as a suffering Savior. That he was supposed to die first. Be buried and rose again. And there would be another coming of the Messiah. And he spent 10 to 12 hours going through all these prophecies to try to convince them. And what was the result? Few believed. Have we seen this over and over in the book of Acts? Few believed, most denied Christ. Most denied. And this is what Paul then says to them. It says here, they they disagreed amongst themselves. They started arguing between each other. They began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy, spoke, Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah, the prophet, go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And he says, therefore, I want you to know God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And they will listen.
You ready for lead, read the last two verses of, of the book? Kind of exciting, isn't it? Let's read it before I die of a heart attack here. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. So, what happened to Paul? Well, church tradition tells that he did not die. He was released after those two years because the Jews wouldn't believe me, the Jews were never going to come to Rome and go before Caesar. And if you don't have your prosecuting side come, they would dismiss the case. The Jews wouldn't come to prosecute because, see, Caesar, if you came before Caesar and you didn't have a case, you're wasting his time, they probably would have been beheaded. So the, the Jewish religious leaders never showed up in Rome. So, they, so eventually they had to let Paul go. Now Paul went on to minister for another three to four years. It's believed that he went to church tradition again. says he went to a lot of the churches that he had established, God had established through him earlier and strengthened them. And he even went to Spain, which we'll see when we get to Romans chapter 15. He went to Spain to plant the church there as well. And then about A.D. 67, 67 A.D., he was arrested again. He was arrested and he was, uh, he, this time was different though. He was put in a true prison. It was wintertime in Rome. He was very cold. And, and the hard part for Paul, because the, the emperor of Rome had changed. He was persecuting the Christians. So a lot of his dear brothers and sisters in Rome abandoned him. And, and you read this in 2 Timothy. I encourage you to go read that. That's the end. That's the last book he wrote as he was imprisoned in Rome. He was cold. He asked Timothy to bring his coat and his scrolls. He was beheaded. Don't look, John. <laughs> he was beheaded. But we all know, what was it for him to die? He got a what? He got a promotion. He got a promotion. His suffering, his ambassadorship was over, and he was instantly present with the Lord. Praise God. Now, what's amazing is even his time when he was in prison in, in Rome the first time, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He wrote 1 Timothy and Titus when he was in that second part of his ministry, and his last book he wrote was when he was last in prison was 2 Timothy. So even when he was in prison, God was using him mightily, but he called him home. Well, you know, beloved, how do we summarize this great book of Acts as we close this morning? How can we possibly summarize all the lessons God has taught us? I, I think we'd all agree that was, we saw the great history and the foundation of the church. We saw God building His church. We saw that God used many great men, built up many, many great men in the process. John and Peter and Philip and Stephen and Paul. He used many great men to build the church throughout, throughout the world. We saw the gospel boldly proclaimed over and over and over again. We heard the gospel. And the church went from Judea to Samaria to the world. We got to see all that. But I think that the greatest thing we got to see as we studied this book is how great our God is. The greatness of our God. Isn't it amazing I mean, no one could possibly have put this strategic plan together on how God chose to build the church. It's above and beyond our comprehension. 
the way he did it. But not only that, but just the, the powerful working of his plan of salvation, but also just the personal God and how he met people where they were. He wasn't some distant, autocratic God. He came in and got involved in people's lives. He, he was, I mean, it still blows my mind. He was concerned about these islanders in this little island of Malta. He wanted to bring the gospel to them, to the Sumerians, to Africa. He was spreading the gospel all over the world. And we saw whenever Paul got discouraged, God would show up and encourage him. He was intimately involved with Paul's life. Do you find you serve the same God? Is this how God is for you? Is He real? Is He personal? Is He involved in your life? Does He encourage you? Do, do you ever have a ticker tape parade? Do you ever have a day where it just seems like everybody's, everything's going well and brothers and sisters are coming alongside of you and God's speaking you to you through your word and your prayer life is rich? And I mean, just God is intimately involved in your life. Do you have days like that? Weeks like that? That's the God we serve. Application. Here's the question. This is the one that screams out in my heart. Where's the Pauls today? Where are the Pauls today? What does God want to do through you? Beloved, we can't just read this as a historical document. This work of God continues. It continues to Christ's returns. And He wants to do miraculous works through this little fellowship called the Oasis. He's still looking to and fro for a, a man or a woman that is completely sold out to Christ. Someone that He can use for His kingdom. Do you believe that? It's not just showing up on Sunday, showing up on Wednesday. And I praise God for all of you that are faithful. You know, Wednesday's outreach was a, was a great night. Kevin shared his testimony. And uh, Nate brought the gospel. I mean, I see God working in our body, and I praise God for each one of you who faithfully come here on Sunday and Wednesdays and the outreaches. It's wonderful. But, beloved, our Christian faith requires more than just coming to church on Sunday. It requires people that are sold out, available for God to live the life He called us to live. And you know what? You hear me saying this from time to time. I'm going to say this until God calls me home. Because my job is to call you out, to equip you. But that's what the faith is. The verse God laid on my heart is Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Don't you want to live that kind of life? Don't you want to be the next Paul or the next Esther, the next Ruth? Don't you want to be that kind of a person for God? Yeah. How meaningful that will be when we get to the judgment seat of Christ that we live the life completely surrendered and sold out to Christ. Come on, beloved. The world has nothing to offer. Nothing substantial. Nothing eternal. It's living for Christ that impacts the world. God changed the world through Paul. He wants to change the world through all of us. That is His desire. 
You know, you know where Jesus is right now? Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. Jesus isn't in the grave. And He's no longer walking this earth. He is seated on the throne. All of His glory has been restored. He is, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him. And He lives within each one of us. So don't say it's a lack of power. The power lives within each one of us. The, the reality is though He's such a He's such a kind God that He lets us live life the way we choose. Free will. I don't care what Tomasi teaches you. Free will. We have the ability to make choices. Right? Whether God knows them and all that, we're not going to talk about Well, maybe in Romans we will. But the reality is we have choices to make. And see, He's all-powerful on His throne of glory and He lives within us and He wants to call us out to live a life of significance for the kingdom. Each one of us. Each one of us. Do you want to live that kind of life? I do. I do. It's the only life that matters. But I, I have to say this in closing. I meet a lot of Christians that don't believe that. I meet a lot of Christians that don't, don't realize the power that lives within them. They're still serving a Christ that's on the cross or a Christ that's in the tomb. You know, I see a lot of Christians that, you know what, they were born again into the kingdom of God, but their past still controls their future. They're, they're still purposely going back into the cell of the past and locking themselves in, letting their their relationship with their father or their mother or whatever's happened to you in life. But when we're born again, we're born in the kingdom of God, and what, are, what kind of dad you had or what kind of mom you had, what you've done in the past, sin, anything you've done, is all washed away. That's why he died on the cross. You, don't, you have a perfect father now, a perfect father that is here saying, come, I want to do great things through you for the kingdom. Will you follow Will you deny yourself, pick up the cross, and follow me? That's a call to every Christian. Every Christian. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we come before your holy throne where Jesus is at your right hand, full of glory, full of power, and we, we proclaim with great gratitude the, the power that lives within us by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I just cry out to you that we would live a life worthy, that we'd become living sacrifices. For you are King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Stir in our hearts, Lord. Help us to overcome the deceptions of the evil one. Help us to put our past in the past and start living faithfully for you. Lord, we also just thank you for this great time, these 14-plus months we've had in this book of Acts, your living word. And Father, I, do start, I just pray you start preparing our hearts for the next journey as we work through the book of Romans. Praise you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.